What's up, party people? You know one of the worst things about being a self-employed performer? That's right, it's your tax. If you're sick and tired of collecting all your receipts and guessing your way through your tax rebate, well, I know the people that can remove the stress and make it as simple as five, six, seven, eight. That's right, it's Theat Accounts. They're an accounting company that specialize in working with performers. So they know all the things that we can claim back and it's so simple. You upload your invoices and bank statements to their website and they do all the work for you. It's cheap, it's easy, and once you try it, I guarantee you will not regret it. It has changed my tax life. Just email info at theataccounts.co.uk. That's theat, T-H-E-A-T, accounts. So again, that's info at theataccounts.co.uk. Make sure you tell them you're from the Ins and Outs podcast and you'll get some five-star VIP treatment. You will get treated like a king. Honestly, they've changed my life. They've made it so much easier. They've removed the stress from tax and they can do the same for you. Boom. The Ins and Outs Podcast with your host, Kane Silver. In this episode of the Ins and Outs Podcast, I speak to professional dancer and b-boy, or I guess you could say professional b-boy, JD Rainey, aka b-boy Twix from Massive Monkeys. Uh, I have such a good time speaking to uh, JD, he's one of my biggest inspirations um, I first saw him b-boying when I was probably 17, 18, and he is one of the reasons I fell in love with the art of b-boying, so speaking to him was an absolute privilege. He's a super inspiring guy, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Also, guys, exciting things are coming, big times are happening. This is the last episode of the Ins and Outs podcast. That is only audio. That's right. We have an official YouTube channel. It will be the ins and outs, I think, or the ins and outs podcast, but the link will be in the bio. Um, all the information you can find will be on our Instagram page. We are now going, I would say digital, but we're already digital, but we're bringing some visuals to this audio. It's 2021. We're making moves. We're doing big things. I got myself a camera guy. I got myself the camera ninja, Jake Gibson from Gibson Media. We've teamed up. He's the new producer of the podcast. He's going to make wonderful, magical things. Go and check him out at Gibson underscore media underscore. And I hope you enjoy this episode speaking to the amazing B-Boy Twix. And we're in. So finally, I'm speaking to the infamous B-Boy Twix, also known as JD. But... (laughs) What's up, right. man? How are you? How's things? I'm all right, man. Can't complain. On my weekend now from uh, the show, days off. You Mondays got Mon- and Mondays and Tuesdays off, right? Yep. Yeah, Wednesday through Thursday is sexy time. <laughs> <laughs> what about Friday, Saturday, and Sunday? Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. That's extra sexy time. Those um, shows get- I'm sure. Uh, where are you now? You're in Vegas, right? Yeah. You've had some time off, right? Because obviously the show was down because of COVID and they were changing venues and stuff. Yeah, about a year and a half. Uh, I think literally pre-COVID, we had just finished up our three-year lease at the Hard Rock and mm-hmm. we were getting ready to transfer over to Sahara. And then pandemic hit, like right in the midst of that, closed us down for a good year and a half. So we were just dark. Yeah, Didn't wild. Know what was going on and 
and for the listeners, they're probably thinking, what the hell are they on about? So Twix is currently in a, a Magic Mike Vegas show, um, original cast. And uh, on to your second, I guess your part two in the new venue. Yeah. What's it like doing it in a different venue after doing it in the, like the, the old venue for so long? Um, it's pretty similar to the old venue. They kept a lot of things fundamentally the same. They just gave us a, like, uh, a lot more additives mm. to the venue now. So we have a lot more toys. Um, we got plexiglass, like plexiglass ledges on the upper mezzanine so we can mm. actually dance on the outside of the railing instead of in between the seats. And Yeah, they have that in the London uh, show too. Yep, and that's what they did. They actually took some of the key things from all the different shows globally and put them in our theater. So we have the rotating piano now, as well as the dual staircase that comes from both ends of the room, as well as the zip lines and all that. Mm. So yeah, it's a lot of new toys to play with. So we're a bunch of like kids in playground, playground equipment. Um, I kind of spoke to Ryan about this like a, a real long time ago when he was on. Um, wh- what's it like doing that show in a Vegas environment, like for you? You know, because like doing that show anywhere, you know, the the kind of attention that it brings is nuts. But especially in Vegas. And that's where people go to wall out. And yeah, exactly. You know, uh, what happens in Vegas, Vegas stays in Vegas. Yeah, not apparently. I mean, that shit ends up on the Internet <laughs> nowadays. But yeah, Vegas is definitely it's definitely the ideal show for like the, the typical Vegas <laughs> patron. Like yeah. come to see wild stuff, lose your mind a little bit, let your hair down, scream, drink, party, have it all be a blur and then wake up, go home. Like what happened? Mm. Definitely ground zero for that. So it's like in the perfect place. So doing shows in that environment is always, I think, turned up a little bit more so than everywhere else because it's almost, you know, considered more theatrical and artistic. Like if you're in London or Berlin, Australia, like it still has that vibe of like, oh, this is a male review, but when you're in Vegas, there's a lot of those shows around. So it yeah. fits in perfectly. Yeah, but it's a bit better than <laughs> the competition, you know? Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> it, it depends what you're after, I guess. Um, right. Yep. Yeah, there's a little something for everybody, you know, so have you, you're in for the story. Have you, you been in Vegas, story. have you been in Vegas now since the show opened the first time? Yep. Since you're 2017. In, you're in so LA. You're in LA before that. What's the... How are you finding Vegas compared to LA? Let's say like in normal times, not like COVID times. Right. Uh, would apparently say... LA is a shit show right now. Yeah, I heard. <laughs> I would say industry-wise, it's a little bit more for the grown-ups. Like Vegas is more like the grown-up table in terms of entertainment and and pushing the envelope and like risque mm. or taboo um, subject matter. Where LA is more media, so they aim more for advertising and marketing. So they usually aim for like a younger crowd. So they're using younger dancers and more fresh face people to sell products and merchandise. So I think that's the biggest difference is Vegas is kind of prime for its live shows. Mm. That's what, what it's known for. What about for like what about for your lifestyle for like living? Like, do you prefer being in Vegas or LA? Because obviously I know like in LA. I mean, I'm sure there's loads of b-boys and stuff and, and people to train with in Vegas too, but like LA is the capital of like dance, yeah. you know, like. True. Uh, I like them both. I'm kind of torn, like a little 50-50 because I definitely like how Vegas has treated me so far. Also because I have a very low vice list 
So mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of things taking my money as much as I am making it. So it's mm-hmm. great. Um, but the community's here, you know what I mean? Like it's not as big as LA because geographically it's just not as big as a state. Mm. That's the only really difference. Like you still have a lot of the same networking and the same like bridge building as you would in LA. It's mm. just a smaller community here because it's a smaller demographic because it's a literally smaller place versus the big state of California. And, you know, I love the water in Cali, like love getting by the beach and like how all that stuff mm. is so close and accessible, but I don't mind the mountains. I don't mind a little bit of, you know, nature and mother earth. You know, I live right next to a mountain. So I kind of, I'm kind of torn. I kind of enjoy both equally because I kind of live the same in both spots. Like I'm not too, too into the community and too into the drama and, and the tea and, and, and the gossip as much as I am like, yo, I just try to show up, do my job, try to be pleasant to be around while I'm there. Go home. Oh, Real what's, easy. what's like, so like, say like, oh, a week in the life of JD. Like, what does your week consist of besides shows? Like in Vegas, like in my head, there's right. so many distractions. There's so many other. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, there's so many. Yeah. You say you don't have many vices, but Vegas is the land of vices, right? Like, <laughs> exactly. And that was I was well aware of that going into the job. I was very cautious of that. So I definitely that was a conscious thought and a conscious effort to make sure to maintain my vice list to keep that really low. And right now it just boils down to sweets and junk food from time to time. But, you know, yeah, I got an insatiable sweet tooth, but so far as like, I still don't drink alcohol really. I don't smoke. I'm not a gambler. I work too hard for my money to just risk it on the adrenaline rush. Which is good. Cause you don't want to have that yeah. addiction in Vegas. Bro. No, I've seen it. And it's crazy. Like going into shows and coming out and like seeing people sit at slots for like six and eight hours. And you're like, have you not gone and showered? Have you not gone and ate food? People get massages at the, the slots. Like we'll have gone in for shows and come back out to end our, our night at like one o'clock and it'll still be the same person sitting at the same slot. Fuck. So yeah, it's crazy. It's zombie land sometimes. So uh, like a typical week for me, like now I usually use my days off as constructively as I can either get errands and stuff done or a lot of like body uh, recovery therapy. So like acupuncture, Cairo, uh, hydration IVs, massages, eating, like just catching up on eating, just mm. eating and sleep. So I'll use those two days off. I'll use one day for just recovery therapy alone. Like I'll spend one whole day and go to like all of those different appointments and then eat a bunch of good clean meals and just try to like take naps and sleep and watch TV. Yeah, that's dope. Cause like you, you know for being in this industry for quite a while now and seeing and being around the who's who of dancers it's not very often that you hear people treat their body like they're an athlete and do the recovery you know like with that spare time they're like they're partying or 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 training which again is a great thing but like i always say i always say about us like we're you know we are athletes but we don't get treated like it we don't get you know massages by our companies very often or you don't get like acupuncture or or uh, like an iv or some sort of like cryotherapy and stuff to recover but like if you were an athlete playing in the nba you know that'd be given you wouldn't even second guess it so the fact that you do that is like actually so dope because you don't hear many people talk about you know that side of dance right it's like we're athletes and we treat our bodies like that you know we just go yeah we just dance yeah, well, because a lot of people, for one, don't accept the concept of being able to be both. And then I come from an athletic background. Before dancing, I was a student athlete growing up in school. 
and I've played almost every sport from martial arts since I was five, gymnast for eight years, played football, wrestled, uh, played basketball, ran track. I did it. Um, so dancing was something we did culturally, of course, like everybody in the family dances, mom, dad, older brothers. Sick. Uh, I'm a product of the 90s. So like my older brothers were dancing like the new Jack swing styles, like stuff like house party, kid and play, mm-hmm. like that kind of stuff. When I first saw breaking, breaking was the culmination of all my different disciplines and interests all in one thing. Mm. And then by the time I started being interested in girls, understanding that girls really weren't into athletes when I was in school like that, they were into performers. Mm. So the first time I actually like danced at a school dance and heard a girl scream at me at the top of her lungs, that changed everything. But I had to find <laughs> a style that I liked as well. So breaking was the thing that kind of solidified all those things where I'm like, I still can be in touch with being an athlete, but I can also dance without feeling, you know, insecure about wanting to dance instead of play sports as well as also wanting to kind of look superhuman and kind of look out of this world in terms of physicality and using my body to like the optimal range so yeah once i started breaking i was like oh yeah i want to learn that that's it and that was just because i just love the style everything else that came after was just from the hobby becoming passion the passion becoming job the job becoming career mm. was was that was there anyone or anything obviously you said the, the the movie breaking but was there a specific b-boy which like captured your interest that you were like yo like i want to do that mm, yeah the very first b-boy i saw that made me like want to look the way he looked and really captivated me that way was uh b-boy i have an urban action figure of course first time i saw him it was like on a late night too it was on soul train it wasn't even like in a b-boy event he was just him Remind, Crumbs, and a few other Scott Elements cats had a couple of episodes where they were on Soul Train, and he was dancing in the Soul Train line. And you know how Ivan is. Flips off the stage, rolls out of it, does a couple backhands, another backflip, and some swipe halos into a headspin. I'm like, yeah, I need to look like that. If I'm going to break, and how I envision breaking, it's supposed to be like how it's supposed to look, it's supposed to look like that. Like That's what it, I need It to doesn't do. get more athletic or sporty. Not at all. Not at all. Like you can definitely when Ivan came around, you can definitely because actually him and Little Caesar it was so funny because I always wanted to see them in like a fantasy match because Little Caesar was kind of like the Ivan of his time, but it was for spinning because mm. the Air Force crew like on the West Coast. That's what was big on the West Coast. And Little Caesar was known like Ivan is known for flipping and being mm. dynamic. Little Caesar was known for spinning. So I came around the generation where Ivan really like had a big boom, like mid 90s. So when I saw that, I'm like, yeah, that's how breaking should look. And that's how I want to look. So I need to get this format. I need to. So I started studying. I started like getting every piece of footage I had on them, started collecting videos and just trying to develop my own sense of dynamic style like his. But something that was more allocated to me. Yeah. Which is interesting when you say, you know, your family you know they dance and you kind of get it from them and like it comes from like the new jack swing and like that house party right. kind of vibe because knowing yeah. you as a, as a as a dancer not just a b-boy and that's one of my favorite things about i would say your style or your flavor that to me it's not just it's not just b-boying you don't just go you you don't just go in and throw down a set and do some uh moves you know what i mean like right. you can you can generally just stand there and dance and that was always the thing to me, which gravitated towards like all my favorite B-boys. And I've said it on here many a times. You're definitely mm-hmm. one of the ones that inspired me right at the beginning when I was like, I want to try and like dabble in it a bit. I remember the first yeah. time I saw you, 
was I think it's R16 and you threw down a set for Itch and Scratch. Oh, that was in 2007. That was the very Two, first R16. 2007. That, that one. And the then third, uh, the third place battle against Tsunami All-Stars. That was yes. the first time I battled like Nagin and his crew. Uh-huh. And you oh, threw man. down that set and I remember getting so gassed. And because to me, it was like, oh, he actually like showed musicality. Like he didn't right. just go in and like, you know, the typical like, especially for that era, like I'm just going to like up rock for a little bit, not hit any right. musicality whatsoever, kind of ride over the rhythm and then do some power moves because that's what just right. come in. Like, you know, like you dance to the music and it was the music first and the dance first and then the moves. And being a dancer, I related to that. So I was like, yo, that's dope. Besides all the dope blow ups. And then bc1 against benny same thing yeah. you know like there was dance you danced and i was like yo like normally people is dance like right. they do moves it was all about one moves you did everyone's like oh my god like look the koreans are doing air flares like everyone's yep. getting gas and i was like yeah but they didn't dance like yeah. <laughs> and i was always like it's called break dancing <laughs> right putting those two things together so and that makes it. sense like with your family background when you go yeah that was your introduction to dance. Well, even in like my early years, I wasn't as focused as much on dancing because a lot of the guys that were, I think, like on like most like music videos and in the mainstream media, like the music wasn't that great. So it was just clips of them doing moves. So I kind of started off that way mm. and just trying to just do stuff that I just really probably had no business doing, but I was just young and impulsive and ambitious. And so I was just trying to like... <laughs> The, the, the awe of the crowd and the oohs and the ahs. And so I think we all start off that way. And it wasn't until later on where I actually listened to a lot of the elders and like went to those workshops and seen other dancers um, start to use that ability in a way that it helped them. Like K-Mel is a perfect example. Like by the time he came out in like the early 2000s, like around when he did Lords of the Floor in Seattle, mm. it, blew, it blew us away. Or guys like, you know, my sensei, Flowmaster, like the way those guys danced, continuously through breaking it just made sense it was like oh yeah like you said break dancing so we're it's okay to dance it's okay to actually remind is another one there's like that list is so long and it wasn't until i started paying attention to those dancers that gave me the confidence to actually want to start dancing that way and then now you have like all the brothers like me machine you know what I mean? More yeah, same like, thing. Machine was like what one of my favorites too, like IB 2005. Super like musically based like, because, you know, that's part of our regimen. It's part of how we practice. I just sit around listening to music for hours, just trying to memorize it and hear every little sound to think about how I can connect to it. So that's that's the whole point, right? Yeah, because even when I watch your training videos that you put on, on Instagram from like in your garage, like you don't always train to like the traditional break-in tracks too. Like, that's why I kind of like, I was like, oh, okay, like he's like today he's dancing to Justin Timberlake, like right. a week later he's doing Buster Rhymes and they're not necessarily your, like your specific like Big Daddy Canes or like, right. you know, and I'm always like, ah, oh, okay. Like it, it feels like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like, it's kind of music driven. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everything is training with me. So if I'm listening to a different sort of music while I'm training purpose, it's like, oh, I don't want to listen to a break. I want to listen to an R&B song. Or I want to listen to a rock song, just something just to change up the frequency and the wavelength of how I'm dancing in order to connect to the music. So that way it conditions me for jams because you're not always going to know what song is going to play. You're not going to like every fucking song. You're going to sometimes you're going to hate it. You're going to have to know how to either tune in or tune out, mm. especially to perform under pressure, because if you don't like the song and it's your round, you don't have any choice. You still have to go out and try to win around. So how do you do that? Then you got to tune out and kind of rely on 
the athletic and performance ability of it, which is like, okay, I can still not enjoy this song and do enough of what I need to do to either win this round or tie it or whatever. Now, if I get a song I like, oh, you're in trouble. Because now not only do I want to do everything that I had planned on doing, now I get to actually connect and display my musicality with this song that I freaking love. And that's always going to take dancing up to a new level. So it's one of those things that's always, you know, you're rolling the dice. So you just, it's might as well be prepared for all the different circumstances and obstacles than not. Yeah. I feel you. Um, what, what, what took you to LA from Seattle? Um, the fact that I had a lot of my support system kind of pushing me out of my own city. <laughs> this is right after. For good or for bad? It was good. It was for good. Because they felt like I could be doing what a lot of, you know, my my fellow B-boy and B-girl compatriots were doing, which was dancing in music videos or for artists or on movies, because we already established ourselves so well and so much at home. Like, the minute we won our first world championship in 2004 and then we got our own holiday in Seattle, I was like, I'm set. I'm cool. I don't ever have to leave Seattle again. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was home. And then my family's there. So people watched me grow up. And I finally like made a name for myself in my own hometown. And, you know, it was around the time like ABDC was popular and all the dance shows. So you think Dance with the Stars, You Got Served, it just came out like in the later 2000s. It's like the golden, the golden era for dance, wasn't it? For dance movies. Yeah, totally. Like the mid, like mid to late 2000s. So I just had a lot of people where I worked, all my different jobs, like, People knew that I danced and knew about Massive Monkeys and we had danced for uh, the Sonics at that time. We still had a basketball team. So we were kind of like little local hometown heroes. So all of like my coworkers and people that knew that I danced outside of my crew all would always say, oh man, you should be in these music videos. And I just saw this music video have this brick dancer in and you're better than he is. And we should go down to LA and then the good. And I've just heard it so much everywhere I went. It started, it started getting me thinking like, well, should I? Because at first, I was also, in terms of the industry, a late arrival. Like, I didn't go to Southern California until I was 27. Now, most of the guys that I'm dancing with now or have done jobs with, they were already there four and five years plus. Your skilled methods, mm. uh, most of the super crew, like Dunock and like yeah. all the guys that were working, that were in all those movies that we were watching because we're bugging out. Because we're sitting at home watching You Got Served, and we literally know at least... 50% of the movie of the dancers in it because yeah. most of them are boys and B-girls. So I was like, oh, we just saw flips at an event like two months before this movie came out. Mm. Go figure. So just heard it a lot. And I really didn't have, I think, as much faith as everybody else did about it because I was adamant about like, nah, like I'm not going to go start over somewhere else. Mm. I just made my reputation here at home and now especially you at 27 like you're an yeah. adult like you're like at 27 I, was, I feel like you feel like you're it, like i'm 31 now but i remember when i was 27 i was like i'm a fucking man like i know I, i'm cemented you know like i know my shit so to do something right fresh at that age i feel like that's probably quite challenging exactly especially when you know that they're aiming more for like 18 to 25 like mm. regularly and also on the top of that, I had a family. I was with a girl that had a kid, so I was a stepdad. So I was raising a family. I was already, like, I went from living at home to having my own family while still dancing and all that. So that's also another reason. I'm like, I got to stay here. I got kids, and I got a mouth to feed, and I got food to put on the table. Like, I'm not worried about going to 
find a dancing career because I was working as a barber and a personal trainer back home. And then we were dancing with gigs that we got mm. in-house. And that was cool for me. You know, like we lived comfortable. But everybody thought I could go and do more and go higher. So I think reluctantly, on the base of everybody else's faith, I felt obligated to at least try. So I made the decision to actually, I think it was like 2009, right after we finished doing uh, ABDC, I went home for like a, like a year after that and made the decision. I was like, okay, I'm gonna try it. And it was really when my mom said it because I'm the youngest of three, you know, I'm the baby boy and me and her are really close. And I've also was staying close by for her because she's of course getting up older in age and all my brothers are gone and it's just her and the dog. So I stayed around just to keep an eye on mom, you know, once she said, you know what, I think you should go. Once she said it, that kind of really snapped for me. I was like, well, shit, mom said it. And she don't want me to go nowhere. You've had your blessing. Yeah, I've had my blessing. I was like, let me at least try. I haven't been home since. <laughs> Crazy. And that was in 2009. Like, I go home to visit and whatnot, but I'm still out here on the journey, still working, still doing things and finding stuff to do. And even now, to where I'm, I'm 40 now, and she's like, you ready to come home yet? <laughs> you done? Like, You're like, I'm still in my prime. Like, <laughs> I'm killing this shit. Like, oh, I'm actually still working, ma. Like, oh, shit. Like, go figure. <laughs> yeah. Which, which right. bro, like, like, tell me how many 40-year-olds are still killing it. Like, still doing 10 shows a week. Find me a 40-year-old that's doing 10 shows a week, bro. Yeah, I mean, that's, I'm sure that's because of those therapy days, bro. Right. <laughs> and and the supplement regimen, if people know about me, they know my supplement regimen is crazy. That's dope. All the vitamins. All um, when you were when you did when you were in Seattle, you said you mm -hmm. were dancing for Sonics for the basketball. So did you do like the halftime shows and like the like yeah, you know, like we the, used to dance. I always I always you either have in my head when I think of like a NBA like uh, like halftime show, I either think of like like really corny cheerleaders doing crap street dancing or Jabberwockies. Like it's like right, there's no in between. Opposite. There's no in between. <laughs> it either has to be like super one way or super the right. other. Well, uh, it has expanded now, and <laughs> now every team has like a break squad, and we are I think I think kind of the trailblazers for that because mm -hmm. they weren't. Like that wasn't a thing back in like the early 2000s. We were kind of like guinea pigs in terms of when we got hired, they were just trying to branch out their levels of entertainment and like branch out to different forms of it because they did have their, their, their dance team, which even them, like they have their discrepancies of being called cheerleaders and the dance team. Like there's, there's mm -hmm. two different things versus like, oh, you guys are the cheerleaders. Like, no, we're the dance team. It's like calling a performer like me. It's like calling me a stripper versus yeah. oh, no, I'm a performer. Like I'm a dancer. Like there's, there's a difference. Um, yeah, they just tried, you know, to, to di diversify and just kind of evolutionize. And they reached out to us and we went and auditioned and they loved what we did, but they felt like we couldn't use our name because they felt like that was going to be too like racially charging ah. and, and, uh, provoking for some people because you have the name monkeys in it and 80%, 90% of the NBA African-Americans. Yeah. So they, they started calling us the boom squad, but then they would link our, our, that, that, that moniker and that image to they would link it to massive monkeys like oh this is massive monkeys aka the boom squad of the sonics and so they didn't rebrand us as much as they did go with a little bit of a safer bet for their company but then also linked us to ourselves in, in retrospect and, and at least boom squad sounds kind of cool 
Right. And that's what we did. Like we used to just bring a lot of just like excitement because we would just come out and do a lot of our battle routines and I would flip all over the place and tumble. And, you know, it just created a lot of good energy for these basketball games that we would dance in the timeouts. Mm. So sometimes we would get like a booking for a halftime show, but that was for either the all-star game or a special event. Most of the time it was in between the timeouts because they were like two to three minutes long. So we'd have like a choreographed routine and then a couple of solos and then it'd be it in and out. Mm. So game days were fun because when we drive through town, of course, everybody's charged for game day and they would see us. They'd be like, boom, squad. Like we had our own little fan club and they had our own jerseys and it was great. And then I ended up going to Harlem Globetrotters and doing the same thing. And that was like my intro into L.A. That was the first job I had gotten into L.A. before Chris Brown, before Jason Derulo, before all that. So I stayed within like the field that I knew because it was fresh to me. Yeah. And if you don't mind me asking, is it well paid? doing that kind of stuff because i heard from when i was there like girls which were like oh i used to do la lakers and i'd be like yo no, why did and i'd be like why did you leave like when they'd be like uh like the laker girls i'd be like yo why did you leave and they'd be like because we made no money and i'd be like but you're performing for the most famous team of all time except for the bulls yeah. like <laughs> what do you mean right. and they're like no you just don't get you know it's not unionized it's not you've got no <laughs> like right yeah, no, and yeah, I mean, there definitely were some teams that were definitely better off than others and some squads. We actually didn't get paid too bad because, again, it was like a specialty act. Mm. So uh, we did, I think, get paid a little bit more than the dance team, but because they were, that was like a historical thing and they've been there for that long. So with us, they wanted to keep us around a little bit longer. So they paid us accordingly because we're doing like crazy stunts and whatnot. And, you know, but I mean, back then for me, I was, I was already working two jobs that I enjoyed. And then on top of that, getting dance money, I was like, oh yeah, I'm great. I'm making money hand over fist. Like uh, I'm at the barbershop four or five days a week. I'm at the gym doing personal training four or five days a week on top of if game day happens. Oh, so for me, I like between 24 and 27, I was living the life at home. I was like, oh, this is great. Hence why I didn't want to leave. I was like, oh yeah, no. Mm. And right here, I'm going to do this for as long as I can. What you want? California, no, not a, not a chance. But we did the TV show, and I went, "Oh, this was doing. This is what TV is like, huh?" Mm. All right. What was uh, ABDC yeah. like? It was a different experience, man. Like that was crazy. Like being on national TV for like weeks on in for a couple like, months. I remember when that used to get aired over here, and it wasn't very often. And the only dance shows I'd ever seen was like if I got to watch So You Think, it was via like the internet. Which back mm. then was like, you know, it were not not everything was popping on YouTube like it is now. Like right. I'd catch Wade Robson Project like on MTV oh, if I was lucky. Like what other dance shows was there? Dance 360. We um, didn't have that, but Dance Life, no. but obviously that was like reality TV like trash. Yep. But I loved it because it was just dance, like anything dance. I was like, cool, I'm in. And I remember seeing right. I remember seeing ABDC and being like, yo, like they're getting like they're on as a crew. Like, you know, right. on your own, because everything was always like you're an individual. Right. right. Like everything was always like you're a solo dancer. Like, yep. so you think you dance, they were all individuals. So when it came to cruise and it was so much like, oh, you can be with a click. I was like, yo, why don't we have this shit in the UK? Right. Yeah. Crazy. Um, and the funny thing is we tried out for that show twice and we actually got in the second season. Mm. But uh, my crewmate Jerome had hurt Jerome's his knee. While- Jeromeski. Yeah, Jeromeski. Yep. Um, he hurt his knee while we were filming B-roll. So we turned down the contract and said, no, if we couldn't do it with him because we didn't want to do it without him because he got hurt. 
So Super Crew actually got in that year, and that was the second year that they won. So it was yeah. like, oh, it was crazy. And a couple years later, like I said, it goes by. Quest and Beat Freaks happen. That was a crazy season. Um, and then the fourth season comes up, and somebody in our crew just – I don't remember who it was. I think it was either Bryson or Jerome. One of them said, we should try out again for the show. And, it, and at first I was kind of over it. I was like, ah, like, uh, go through another audition and all that. Like, it was fun, but eh. You know, we're already, like, super heavy in rotation in terms of, like, the subculture and hip-hop world and being flown out to, to jams and still, like, competing internationally, mm. you know, on the subculture level. But still, like, it's like and one basketball versus, like, the actual NBA. Like, we were touring already. It's like, we don't need that show. Like, ah. They talked me into it. I was kind of, like, again, reluctant to do so, but was like, all right, take one for the team. Let's do it for the family. Let's just do the show. Did it. And like I said, got a taste for it. And that was a different life. It was just cool being being able to see us, like see ourselves on TV week after week and watch the episodes. It was just a different experience. Yeah. And you guys got shown in a really good light. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like some people go on those shows and they get proper like shown poorly. But I feel like yeah. you guys got shown in such a good light. How could you not go? I like the taste of that. You exactly. know, like. And we also conducted ourselves that way. I was like, oh, if we do this, then we do this as a class act. Like, y'all, let's let's maintain, like, our integrity in terms of doing so and integrity to the culture. But, okay, let's give this, you know, industry thing a, a shot. Let's give mainstream media a shot and a go. Why not? Mm. So once that happened, then that opened up the whole avenue to, oh, this is what everybody was talking about and, like, having access to artists and films and music videos and industrials oh, this is a whole new level of performing. Mm. So here I am again, thinking like, okay, yeah, I got to go because once again, I got to give it a shot for everybody that has this immense amount of belief in me. If, I'm, you know, if I do it for anything, I got to at least do it for them because they're trying to live vicariously through me. So fuck it. Let me just try it. That's fucking dope. It's yeah. crazy to think how you are content with life. And then you took a risk. And like, if you think of <laughs> your journey from right. then to now, bro. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, shit. Because I'm sitting in here at Vegas and driving down the strip and seeing my face on a billboard day after day. That's a trip to me still. Like, it's the coolest thing in the world. Because I was even in L.A. And that was the thing I used to think about when they're promoting a new movie. And that's all they do is slap up all like the banners and the freaking all the posters everywhere. I'd be like, oh, that's I wonder if these people like really like grasp how cool it is that they get to see themselves on the side of a building like at a hundred feet tall with their movie or with their album coming out. I'm like, damn, that's, I would love to have that at some point in life. That's some bucket list type ish. And then here I'm in Vegas and then oh shit, everybody's like, Yeah, you're the guy on the screen. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> damn. You're the guy on the side it's of the very, taxi. Right. It's very it's it's very anchoring and it's very flattering all at the same time because it's a lot of responsibility because I better be the shit if I'm on. Yeah, the, you can't the be the one. You can't be the one on the post and then be the one giving shit shows and like exactly as well as also, yo, that's crazy. I'm like looking at myself like at on a big ass billboard that's like a hundred feet tall. Like, oh, okay, so. Yeah, it just it always just keeps me motivated to just give the best show and to be my best self in terms of a performer and in terms of a dancer and in terms of an entertainer, mm. because I'm representing this company and I'm like, you know, like my face is all over it. Mm. You know, not yeah. more than Chance, of course, because that's his baby. But 
just to be a part of something like that and to have them celebrate us in that way and give us that shine. It's like, yo, that's yeah, why and, I pulled you know, punches. Uh, that's, and that's one of the dopest things I think about that show is like, if you think like, you know, you've worked for multiple artists on multiple things, like we get zero recognition, like as, as backing artists, like backing mm-hmm. dancers, whatever you want to call us, like, you know, nice. like at the end of a music video, our credit don't come up at the end. Like it doesn't say rehearsed five days, like right. <laughs> 17 hours a day. Shot right. shoot day was 24 hours. Like we get zero credit. So the fact that you're even highlighted as like, you know, it's not you behind Chan. It's like you. Like it's like this. Yeah. Is like the, uh, that's yeah. like my, uh, what the thing I give most props to is like, you're the artist. You know, yeah. you're not the backing dancer. And that's super fresh because not many dancers get to say that. Unless you end up being like right. Rob Hoffman, who gets to be the guy from Step Up. Like, you know, it doesn't really happen. It's an anomaly. Yeah, sure. Absolutely 100% agree. Um, I was fortunate enough to have some do like cool highlighting moments in the, in the tours that I've worked for because those dancers also had like the same mentality or those artists had the same mentality where they wanted to celebrate their dancers and give mm-hmm. them some shit. And so like my first tour, Chris Brown, it was my very first tour, the Carpe Diem tour. Mm. first time i ever worked for an artist and it so happened to be the biggest male r&b artist at the time and the only one that really gets down <laughs> right and then on top of that i'm holding down a solo for a, a iconic hip-hop like mc that i yeah. grew up listening to with the dance style that i'm doing also because he couldn't be on the tour because of financial reasons like yeah. budgetary all that stuff changes he was supposed to be on the tour rapping his verse which worked out best for you but the coldest thing was I wasn't even trying to get it as much as I was just enjoying the moment when we didn't have any choreography set. So how I got that solo was every like every day in rehearsal when Fly and Super Dave were trying to plan, you know, the set list and organize where Chris is going to go and what time he needs to leave the stage for costume changes and all that. They're just working out the kinks. That song would come on. But up until like where the choreography is, that was supposed to be where Bustle was supposed to come out. But since the plans changed midway through rehearsals, they would sit and brainstorm and kind of give us a little five minute, you know, to just sip water, just chill out while they brainstorm of what could happen while Chris needs to leave stage. Me being a B-boy, Buster Rhymes comes on. I'm like, oh, I got I got a freestyle. I got to practice. Like it's Buster Rhymes. I've been dancing to Buster Rhymes for a good 10 years before even dancing for this artist that's using Buster Rhymes track so it's just mm. the b-boy coming out of me and so I would just go off when that part came on when this verse came on I would just go off in the corner and just start freestyling as if I was like at a jam or whatnot I would just zone out the other dancers started like watching me because I did this literally for like two weeks straight mm. every time that part would come on I would just bust but they started getting more involved in it like as time went on like they would just watch I think the first couple times they were like oh shit like but they didn't really they kept really reserved emotions but then after about like a, a week they knew i was gonna go off so they're ready so they started hyping me up so they're like <laughs> oh shit, about to go off here you go and i would just go off and so fly and super day they're like sitting like on a different part of the room like having a conversation and they hear all this oh, oh i can imagine know, dave's emotion too you know they were in this little room and they're looking over like what the hell is going on over there and they see me freestyling they get to conversating. Super Dave comes back and just looks at me all like, you know, like how Super Dave does. And then just like that, that really that smile is kind of like yeah. real soft smile. And he's like, mm-hmm. that's your part now. Yeah. And, and then that's leave. it. And that's it. Yeah. And that was it. <laughs> and that's it. He goes, no that's information. 
and moving on next next number we're working on and i stood there froze like what <laughs> and everybody's looking at me like oh did you just get a solo in the show and this is like your first tour ever as a like a working dancer and i'm trying to process this all together myself like oh shit what just happened oh i may have bitten off more than i can shoot i'm second guessing i'm like oh no that can be a group freestyle everybody was like uh-uh no nope, that's all you bro like nobody wanted a part of it the only thing is I had to figure out a cool entrance because Chris is leaving through the center doors that are literally on the first level of the stage. So it was like, okay, we can come in from the side or that was the part that they left for me to figure out. A couple of weeks go by, our stage gets built and I look at the first tier and it's about 15 feet up, like from the ground, from the plexi. And of course, yeah, I was like, oh, I went straight to, all the video footage I, I remember watching of Ivan growing up, and so many times I've seen Flips him flipping off the shit. Or a stage or some shit. I was like, I got it. I know exactly what I'm going to do. And I didn't say anything until full tech rehearsal. I said, oh, I got, I got my entrance, and I, I know exactly what I'm going to do. And they're like, okay, when we get to full tech and the stage is built, Chris will be here and Matt, show him, and cool. Moving on. Like, weeks go by. Yo, I love that trust, though. Like, that trust that they're not going to go, no, tell me what it is first, that they just let you do. Because that's rare, bro. Like, you know, how, you know how like controlling people get in those positions, because I guess, you right. know, they're, they're repping their jobs on the line. They need every detail. Like there's like, yeah. you know, they, you don't get that much trust and especially yeah. to get it from like flying Dave. Like, pfft. right. I also think that they were like, yeah, you'll figure something out. We got other things to worry about as well as they were like they trusted me. But then also that's like that's a detail that we can't really spend time on because we got all these other details. Mm. So they were like, yeah, figure it out. And that was kind of like my homework. So I was like, all right. I didn't tell him I was planning on flipping off of that thing at all. I just waited to because I knew I could do it. Like once I got up there and measured the space, I was like, oh, yeah, I can. All right. I got it. So I waited until we did a full tech rehearsal with Chris in the building, his entourage, the management company, the agents, everybody. That part comes up. Everybody stops dancing and moves to the front of the room. And they're just watching like, all right, here he comes. And then the minute that he says, let's go, I take off. The whole room blew up. Like Chris is running around, grabbing his head. Like everybody's running around, throwing shit. Like, yo, did he just, what the fuck? Got the reaction I wanted. Finished the set. Everybody was like, yeah, that's definitely what's happening for that moment. (laughs) Yeah. Tell Buster not to come. (laughs) Right. He's good. We got it. He's good. He's JD's cheaper. (laughs) I'm more right. entertaining uh, for that. So, yeah, for that, I was just, that moment, I was dancing for my life every night. And I did that tour. That, I think it was like a two-month tour. I was doing that solo every night. But every night, I'm still like having that, that moment of anxiety. Like, okay, here it comes where I just needed to kind of collect for a second and go. And kind of like accept that, that bigger responsibility than myself in terms of that moment to help me do well. and To help me mm-hmm. fuel that fire of like wanting to execute it so yeah man how, how, how did you get that tour because when you think of like whenever i think of uh if a b-boy a b-boy is on a tour it's not very often that they're hired to be a dancer they're hired right. there to be a b-boy you know like flea rock if i'm correct was hired on stuff as a b-boy you know what i mean right. like a lot of the time people are like it doesn't happen in the uk at all because budget but i feel like in right. america they will take an artist on or a performer on tour just because they have that specific track or that specific role or they're going to do you know they'll take trickers who are just going to do trickers but you were actually mm-hmm. hired as a dancer i was you, you did all um, the choreo like how did everything. that come around 
Like, were you um, were you training cardio? I was. I was going to classes and whatnot. Um, it wasn't as big as a a priority, but I was taking up like classes of people that I knew of and people that I liked and like felt like their choreography. Like I could either do it to the equivalent of how it needed to be done to make them look good or what fit well with my body. Um, but uh, the first time I got hired by Rich and Tone mm. was before all the Chris stuff. Um, once they found out I was in LA because Rich and Tone are also uh, OG house dancers, that whole housing authority camp. So Super mm-hmm. Dave, Fly, Fly, Rich, Tone, Christina, Showtime, all of them, they're all OG house dancers from the street from the street world yeah so b-boy and house are very intertwined like that and they're very parallel and they battled a lot of like uh my ogs they battled like flow and fly used to battle against each other all the time before they started working together for usher and i got those videos mm-hmm. so when i got to la and i seen them i'm like wait i've seen you guys before and i was in footage it was in battle footage of all the b-boy shit that i was watching i'm like i know who you are and they're like yeah we know who you are too get your ass over here and really just put me under their wing and like started training. Like they were like, yeah, you got to get these steps. Yeah. We know you B-boy and we know that you're massive monkeys and you're the shit at what you do, but you need to be more than that. So they just busted my ass. It was like, yeah, you need to get these steps. You need to be more than a B-boy. So when they started hiring me, it was bit by bit, you know, job by job. And I was put on like Chris's like extra dance roster first. Like, so I was only hired like when he needed multiple dancers for like award shows mm-hmm. because his, uh, his cousin Gee who's now into the stunt world in the movies, I was always his booking and he's like a well-known tricker martial artist, but he never really had a booking that could match him because nobody was his same size and had his same skill ability until I came around to LA and then they started putting me and him at opposite ends. So once he started shifting into more of stunts and like getting into movies, they put me in his spot on the tour group. Cause it was easy to shift me over. It's like, okay, now he's part of the tour squad because he's always, he's booking. But again, you're gonna have to learn these steps. So I did. So I used to just go home and practice and find my, my process and my way of picking up choreography that worked fastest for me. So whenever I went to auditions, I wouldn't blank out and whatnot. So I just went through the process, but I also just, I'm that person that once I, once I like latch onto a task like I want to do it well so I'm always practicing I'm always trying to refine I'm always trying to learn I'm always trying to like be proficient at it because mm. I was that way with sports like every sport that I did I did it well enough to say like yeah I do that and yeah. then move on to thing. Well, so this was different did you find it hard like adapting to be like a choreo dancer because like you know it's no secret that like <laughs> we know that most b-boys can't pick up choreo like they you know if you go and watch like bc1 or whatever whenever there's like a group thing there's always someone that fucks up like (laughs) um it was i mean yeah it had its difficult moments but i think it was less difficult for me because like you said i grew up a dancer first Mm. so it still always had that mentality of like oh this is another form of dancing and i think it's also what always has created that long line of debate and and feud between choreography dancers and freestylers because it's also a mentality and a and a personality thing as well as it is like a um, um, like a psychiatric thing in terms of like a psychology thing in terms of freestyle dancers they come from a place where it's more about standing out and being an individual because their life circumstances they're not heard they're not seen so they are more prone to be like 
this is me, this is who I am, and I'm different, and I'm here, and I have a voice, and this is how I express myself. Yeah, right? Choreography and studio dancers grow up and then come from a place of having more resource and everything is structured. Like everything has a place, everything has a number, everything has literal structure to where it goes and why it's there and has a purpose. Mm. So when you ask them to freestyle, you ask them to kind of dance without that, they get stuck. They're like, wait, you're not gonna count? Or wait, I have to, you want me to what? <laughs> and so there's always been that beef. It's like, well, B-boys can't be a choreographer, like choreography. And then, yeah. you know, the freestyle dancers and they're always like, well, choreography dancers can't freestyle. And, yeah, uh, and that so, is the exact conversation that happens. Straight up, straight up. So I was like, oh yeah, I don't have a problem with either because I can do both. And I wanted to do both because I was like, oh, I grew up dancing before B-boying. So, all right, cool. Mm. I understand the purpose of choreography and the bigger picture and how it's supposed to all move. And the, the best analogy I've ever heard used for it is like a school of fish. It's like, oh, this all is supposed to look like one unified picture. And Okay, got it. So there, therefore, it's, a, it's about something bigger than yourself. So it's not about you shining. It's about this bigger thing shining. So once you accept that mentality, then choreography isn't a, isn't a, a thing. It's not a hard thing to pick up. It's like, oh, because it's not about you. It's about the bigger the picture. Yeah. The collective. And so now when you're freestyling, yeah, it's about who you are and all of that. And that's just the thing is sometimes those two capacities, those people don't get to experience the other half. You know, so it's, you know, and my thing is my philosophy of life is balance. You can't have one thing without the other. So. I'm like, well, if I have that, then I definitely need that to counterbalance to be whole and to be complete. And the, to me, that was no different either. It was like, okay, yeah, I need to do choreography because I don't want to be limited in jobs and limited in my opportunities. Mm. And this is only going to help me dance my way better. Mm. Once I learn choreography and have a better sense and consciousness of it, oh, this is going to help me break better and help me do all the things that I want to do better. Yeah, and I guess that mentality is what's kind of pulled you away from that like traditional uh, maybe i'm wrong but that traditional b-boy lifestyle where it's like i'm hip-hop i only go to battles i only go to cyphers i'm not going to do a rehearsal that's not hip-hop like that right. mentality you know like i heard it on a podcast the other day uh shout out to the podcast the capsule uh, a guy luke interviewed a guy called uh from the uk sunny b-boy sunny mm, yeah and gotcha. sunny was saying like why do they have this uh this hip-hop thing where everything has to be like if you're not dancing under a bridge on concrete then you're not a b-boy you know right. and it's like that mentality and i feel like you have really like defied the odds on that kind of mentality because mm. i guess you've done that you do that you do the battles you do the ciphers you know i saw you jamming like three weeks ago outside on concrete down wherever the hell it was outside doing a showcase venice. yeah oh it's a venice performing. yeah you're doing a street performing but then Twos, twos a week later, you're in Vegas in front of a 500 women or you're on tour with Chris Brown in front of 1,300 people. Like, I, I feel like you kind of fulfill the circle and connect all the, connect all the dots. Whereas yeah. I feel like, you know, B-boys, especially in the UK, aren't seen in that light. It's kind of like, gotcha. I was always told, B-boys don't make money. Or like, how are you going to make a living as a B-boy? Do you right. know what I mean? That would be the thing. And that's why I was always, like, I wanted to be a choreo dancer first, but I always found breaking cool and i was like yo they they stand out like you're saying they have something more to offer than just blending in so i wanted to be a choreo who could be the guy who well if i can do a bit of that then i'm always going to get the jobs because they don't hire just breakers in the uk they, right. it doesn't happen they always go for choreo guys but if you can choreo and break or do some tricks then you're in right yep. but seeing you 
do all those things i was like yo like shit's different in like in the states they'll take you yeah. for for being a b-boy but i guess it's because you're well-rounded not just a b-boy yeah um yeah at that point i think it's sometimes it's just a, a limiting mindset when people get into that um because for one a lot of the b-boys that do do that they're doing that out of insecurity because they feel like they need to to make sure that they get their credibility as a b-boy i paid my dues i'm 25 some years in the game i battled some of like the craziest battles and in in, in internally you can't tell me i'm not a b-boy mm. you know what i'm saying so therefore my choices aren't governed by the opinions of people that haven't done what I've done yet, mm. you know, or are still walking that path because I'm secure with who I am in terms of that. Like I am a B-boy. Like, you and you fulfill no the roles of a B-boy in that culture. And still doing so because I still go to the jams. I'm still asked to judge. I still compete. I still get in cyphers. I still rock concrete. Like I still get out there. So that's why I'm like, I don't even hear when people go, like, Oh, you know, you're doing industry. I'm like, yeah, man. They're like, oh, well, are you still a B-boy? And it's like, yeah, because that's in here. Like, it's, mm. I already know that. You know what I mean? I don't need external things to solidify that for me anymore. Just as much as I can say, oh, yeah, I'm a professional dancer, like industry dancer. Mm. Even though I didn't grow up in studios, I still learned from the best and was taught and went through the fucking, the trials. You better believe it. Mm. So I've earned every bit of my reputation so that's why it's like i don't even question it i don't even i don't even let other people's doubts or other people's opinions make me question what i already know mm. and i think that is also one of those things that's it's a it's a limiting mindset thing versus more so they're just not getting the opportunity they just don't want to get rid of a certain mindset that's holding them back that they don't know is even holding them back at, at, at that point in time mm. if that makes sense yeah for sure when um when your b-boy twix battle mode going in for battle what's your mindset like you know i know when you think of b-boys battling it's always like right you know throw some beef like let's mm -hmm. beef it out um right. what's your mindset when battling do you feel like you have to have that like el nino aggressive kind of persona like b-boy machine like in your face persona or are you out there to showcase you as opposed to roast the person? Um, it depends on the circumstance. I remember my early years, it was a lot of that. It was a lot of just earning my respect and wanting to earn respect for the crew. So it was like, yeah, battle anybody, anywhere, anytime. Mm. And, you know, or yeah, we about that life or yeah, we about to get, yeah, I'm, I'm with the smoke. Like, bring it. Because mm. I'm bringing it. Um, and that was the early 20s. And that's what, you know, that your 20s is about. It's about conquest and ambition yeah. and pride. It's like, ah. But there's always been a sense to me since growing up a martial arts kid, everything that I've thought about in terms of life has always been very Eastern. So b-boying for me is like another martial art. So I treat it as such. So sometimes it's not always about roasting the other person. So if, it is, if it's about that, it's about that because that's exactly what's going on. And it's something personal mm. as much as it is. Sometimes it's just me enjoying the art and the customs mm. like old samurais you know like mm. oh yeah okay we're gonna get on we're gonna get on the dual field and we're gonna duel but we can do it with honor and respect but somebody's gonna have an honorable death but what better way to go and of course the athlete in me it's like the coliseum it's like being in you know any kind of sporting event it's like being like the gladiators of old like oh we're stepping into the coliseum and we're gonna have a good old fight and whoever wins wins and 
you know, let nature take its course and who stands the victor is who stands the victor. Let's just see how it pans out. Mm. So I, my mind is in all those different capacities based on the circumstance I'm entering the battle. So if I actually got legitimate beef, then it's that. If I'm just trying to enjoy just being in that athletic space, then it's that. It's like, oh, yeah, I just want to be on stage and be in competition and just get tested and test other people. I just like mm. that exchange. You know what I mean? I just, that part of me thrives. That's the athlete where I'm like, I love, I just love a good old fucking competition. Let's go. Mm-hmm. After that, yeah, we'll go have, you know, we'll go eat and go kick it and we'll talk about it. But yeah, let's just have a good old competition. Let's just, you know, beat our chest for a little bit and be alpha males and argh, let's get that out. Yeah. And then other than that, sometimes it's very ceremonial and it has like a, a deeper meaning. Have you had are there any like, um, say, let's talk battles and then maybe performances, unless you want to class them as the same thing. Um, do you have any ones that really stand out to you where like you feel like those are like pinnacle moments or like moments which you like look back on and go, yo, that was a dope time. Because like if I think of my career, mm-hmm. you know, so much happens in such a short amount of time it's quite hard to go. That was a moment. That was a moment. Cause they're all moments, but like ones that really pop out, there's only right. like the odd few where you're like, yo, that was really something as opposed to like, they were all good, but there's the ones right. which really stand out. Do you have any oh, battles yeah. like that, which you go, yo, that was the one where I yeah. represented myself to like the ultimate standard. Yeah, actually the first one was uh, our first championship in 2004 at Wembley arena. And that was because that was literally our first time we could say that we were the world's best at anything at that moment. And as much as I've been an athlete and as much as I've been, you know, on different fields and different sporting events and in sporting capacities, you know, it's like winning a gold medal for your first time. It's like, that was the closest thing to the Olympics that we had in the subculture before breaking actually being in the Olympics. That was our conversation. Mm -hmm. So it's even crazier for me to be around 20 something years and to remember the conversations with my peers that we had about breaking going to the Olympics. And here we are 2024. And I'm like, yo, that was our, like, we talked about that because we always thought it was going to stop at the X games. We were like, breaking will be perfect in the X games. If it doesn't make it to the Olympics, Mm. because the X games is where they sponsored all like the off cuff. BMX. Like Like, right, BMX skateboarding. Uh, Like, Skateboarding, snowboarding, motocross. Yeah, ramp, line ramp stuff. Yeah, we were like, oh, yeah, breaking a fit in perfect here because you still get sponsorships and you still get treated as an athlete, but it doesn't take away from the subculture. It's not too mainstream. Perfect. Mm. Breaking skipped all of that and said, no, we're going straight to Olympics. Oh, shit. I'm actually around to see that. Like, I'm actually, it's in my, in my timeline and in my era. Oh, mm. so in the 90s winning a championship in the subculture and for like what you do specifically, that was the closest thing that we like got to like being like, Oh shit, we just want a gold medal. <laughs> yeah. We got a world championship title, like to say we're world champions in something. So that was one um, battles. I think on a raw, on a raw like level, I think the battle between us and Zulu Kings, like straight up concrete, no music literally had some like personal, like beef between two crew members. And it became oh, like was? a whole thing. Dope. literally was like a half an hour battle on some concrete outside of the jam outside of the freestyle session oh like i said just over like two two individuals having a personal issue and then it became a crew thing and yo it's like yo competition aside like it was like real battle based on real culture like, mm. oh that was where we like one of the things that helped us earn our stripes in that aspect where it's like yo we're not just 
here for stage because there was also that it was like oh well you're doing routines and you know all this because we were taking all the stuff that we learned from abdc and stuff that we were already doing and stuff that we kind of were known for that was kind of biting us in the ass in terms of the culture because then we had some b-boys that would say oh well you guys ain't nothing without routines and you guys only do this shit for stage so our our street cred was getting tested we're like oh word okay well right here right now and that's exactly what happened. And it's on YouTube. And everybody's like, yo, this is the raw shit I've seen since blah, 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 blah. Mm. And it was one of the, like, the infamous battles that went down in history. Third would be R16 the second time we won. Or not when we, like the first time we won, but the second time we went to R16 in 2012. Because that was the good old generational battle. By that time, Master of the Monkeys already established themselves, won a, a championship. Um, was just known as like a real b-boy crew and kind of were solidified in, in, in b-boy history that way but now we're asked to come back to a competition that we hadn't been to in like six years so it was like a six-year gap where we hadn't competed at all and the two-time reigning champ was jinjo at the time and they were like mm-hmm. the new upcomers out of korea yeah. and they had won the event two times previous so that battle was definitely like the old generation versus the new generation. And on top of that was doing the impossible because at the time I was touring with Chris. So I wasn't even at home in Seattle. The crew won the qualifier in Frisco beforehand. And one of the crewmates couldn't go because he was having passport issues. So Jeromeski calls me literally after I get off stage of doing the BET awards with Chris Brown. I get a phone call from Jerome as I'm driving home. And he's like, yo, bro, what's going on? How was the performance? Like, it was great. Yeah, I'm on my way home now. Yeah, it'll be on like uh, Western time in about a couple hours because, you know, everything is filmed mm. different time zones. So he was like, oh, word, bet, bet, bet. Man, I'm sure it was great. Cool. But I got to talk to you about something important. I'm like, what's up? And Jeromeski always calls me with the important news. Every time I like, get something going on and I get a call from Jerome, he's like, yo, brother, what's up? Can we talk? I'm like, what's up? What's going on? He's like, yo, man, do you think you could come with us to R16? And I'm thinking to myself, what's the catch? Because there's always a catch. And I'm like, what happened to Juice? He can't go because he's having passport issues. When is the jam? In four days. <laughs> I was like, there's the catch. He's like, yo, man, like, do you have any work? Like, do you think you could like, make that happen? Like, will they give you time off? And I'm like, well, luckily we're not on tour. And I just finished the performance. But I still had to get online, buy plane tickets, and... The way that the R16 battle is set up, it's set up in like a, a two-part competition. So you have to first do a crew showcase. Mm-hmm. You have to make it past the showcase and get chose from the showcase to battle in the battle brackets. So I have four days to learn the showcase routine that these guys have practiced on for months and travel to Seattle to learn it and learn all the battle routines. Because they, of course, they got all revamped because certain people can only do certain things. Like there are certain routines, like the uh, the statue routine that Jerome and I do. Nobody lifts him up like me. Like in terms of like needing one person to lift Jerome up, and yes, yeah, so all those routines got revamped and remixed, and I had to learn all the new versions because we've had like over the years we got like so many different versions of one routine, mm. and it's like that. And we have bunch loads of routines, so it's like having a bunch of music in the vault that we haven't released yet. And it's like mixtapes on mixtapes. So I'm like, okay, Jerome. And I'm thinking to myself, how in the hell are we going to fucking pull this off? I get online. I book a a flight literally for like the next day, fly home. 
because we they also wanted me to fly home so we could fly together from Seattle to Korea. Literally four days before we're on a flight to Korea, I'm like learning showcase routines, learning the battle routines. We're still rehearsing up until we do our showcase. Place top three in the showcase. And then in the battle bracket, we had to go against Jinjo. And Massive Monkeys has had literally the longest running history of b-boy crews that have had like the hardest brackets through our entire b-boy career from mm-hmm. establishing ourselves from like 2000 or 99 all the way up until now like every battle i can go back and remember like thinking yo we got the hardest bracket we're battling literally the best from everywhere globally or like nationally like or internationally it's always been like korea and france and all these super yeah. crews and so that's why again like it's hard to 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 question our staying power in the b-boy scene and for me for myself i take that shit real personal like, i'm like you can't like I don't unless you're one of the elders you really can't say shit to me about being a b-boy because i used to get a lot of flack for being a gymnast when yeah. that wasn't because I, I remember back in the day when people do flips and then you know b-boys just stand there put their arms in the air and be like but look at all the b-boys now, now every b-boy can do every flip <laughs> bro like cats like Gravity, myself, G. Lou, like all of those gymnasts that have crossed over. I remember back in the 90s, we used to get so much flack for that. Like, what the fuck? You want to be a B-boy? Well, you're never going to be that good because you're a gymnast. Da, 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 da. But duly noted, okay, 20 years later, I go back to those same people like, oh, yeah, remember when you said I wasn't going to be? That's also been a part of like my driving force and staying power. It was like, yeah, I may not be, you know, the, the number one dude on top of the mountain, everybody's biting my style and the guy that is most talked about, but I'm going to be around. Like my, my, my thing has always been longevity. I was like, I'm see where you guys are at in like 10 years. Yeah. So that was always my thing is like, I want to be in the older bracket, but still dancing. Like I'm 20 or 30. It's mission accomplished, bro. <laughs> like <laughs> mission accomplished. I watched um earlier on. I watched the battle of you and Hong 10 from earlier this year. <laughs> so I, was just, I was just trying to look for like current stuff you know because i can find old right. stuff of you easy right. just type it in or everything from like 2007 to like 2014 right. 13 you know you get a lot but there's not a lot of recent stuff because obviously you're in shows and stuff now so right. i was like what's up and then i watched the battle of you in hong 10 and i was like well this is interesting because this is like two like kind of elders in the scene now we go back you know we like two elders like you know you're both around in 2007 doing um red bull bc1 and stuff like that so when i watched it i was like yo it's crazy like they haven't missed the trick like it's still like they're still the solid ones that they were like 10 years ago and it's super dope because i feel like you don't really see that in sport or no or you dance. don't i almost wanted to post the uh the battle the the two-on-two battle that jerome and i got flew out to in 2005 which was freestyle freestyle session korea special edition and it was kind of like our it was like korea's lords of the floor it was like a real um real like popular two-on-two like a real big one it was like on that level so they were like doing all the invites of like the two-on-twos that's been killing it and like physics and hong ten and jerome and i semi-finals tiebreaker like we were going at it but we every time that we ever battled international i think four or five years straight it would always be us in project soul and project soul was a collective of like all like the, the best Korean dancers at that time. And Hong Ten was on it. Physics was on it. As well as quite a few other uh, amazing I remember Korean then dudes. physics was like a mystery to everyone, wasn't it? Like everyone was like, yep. 
physics like he's the he's the one which no one can like touch at the time right you're right especially when it came to like strong b-boys it was like yo what is he doing like yeah how's he in that position because people didn't do that then like on you know freeze and stay there and walk around and kick their feet and shit right nah and then junior came along from france and that was yeah it was like (laughs) the funny thing is cujo he's been been doing that forever forever like i grew up watching cujo do that so it's funny when people kind of get the timeline wrong and they're like oh cujo is like a new version of junior i'm like no no junior is a new version of cujo yeah go back and watch music videos from way back and you'll see Cujo. run dmc and jason evans yeah like that video that's why i was like copying him and ivan because i always thought at that time the b-boys that were kind of popular and like known as like these like this these myths in the scene were the ones that kind of acted a little crazy, a little off mentally. So when you see Cujo like bobbing his fro around in that, and he's not really top rocking, you're like, what the hell? But then he's a, like, does a fucking flare air track in the windmill halo, double halo. And you're like, whoa. And then you see Ivan with his big fro and he's running around like crazy doing backhands. So I was trying to mimic that. So I think my first couple of years, I was just doing what I saw. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, the, the crazier I appear, the better people think, the, the better the other people will think that I am. So I just got to act nutty. I got to act like psycho. That style, like I said, like ran me for about two or three years, started beating up my body. I was like, wait, I don't know if I like this. Like, ah. <laughs> that's when I started like watching more, like dancing inclined B-boys, like mm. Flowmaster, K-Mail, like just guys that were funky. It was like, mm. oh, there's a whole other side to this. Got yeah, it. Because even your dance, when you're, when you're breaking, there's a funk element to it. You know, Bump. like and like you know, you can pop. You like I remember seeing you at Super Dave's freestyle sesh, like when we did the little studio Millennium, like and you'd yeah. be like, "Oh, Twix is here, dope." And then all of a sudden, you throw out a popping solo. You're like, "Oh fuck!" Like the okay. funny thing was, popping was my first choice when it came to street dance. Uh, the dance that I wanted to do, breaking was something I did out of spite because a lot of people th- like from my hometown, like that I was dancing with early on, used to get like a lot of little shady comments of what because in the 90s what you started was was what you were it was a box everything was boxed in so if you started breaking you were a breaker if you were popping you were a popper if you were locking you were a locker no crossovers no crossovers absolutely none so when i would practice breaking the cast that i was running with before master would look at me and be like yo what you doing like why are you why are you practicing breaking you're the popper you practicing popping i was like but i want to practice breaking they're like no 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 we got people for that so it was almost like affirmative action in that like you're here to pop so that's all you do and i got heated i was like no so i stopped popping literally i was like never again i'm not popping anymore i'm just gonna practice the breaking spent the next 25 years devoting myself to that style just to be considered a good b-boy to go back again to those people that were like doubting and saying oh no you would never be an oop and i'm like oh word i'm the worst like you can't tell me i can't or won't do something Especially like I'm that I'm that dude. Yeah, don't tell me that. It actually probably works in your favor. It's like the Michael Jordan, the Michael Jordan mentality, right? Like (laughs) it pushes me. The minute you say, "Oh, you can't," or "You won't," challenge accepted. Mm. Watch me. What's 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 like? What's your plan? What's your goal for the future? Like, what what do you see for your career? Like, you're 40 now. Like, I'm not gonna say how long do you think you're going to keep dancing for? Cause I imagine you're going to say as long as your body allows you, <laughs> that's Definitely. what I'm going to guess your answer will be. But Definitely. like, what's, what's the, what's the plan? Like, do you want to stay doing the show for a long time? Do you want to venture out and try new things? Like what's the, 
What's the goal? I'm not trying. I mean, to as far as the show, I want to do the show. You know, uh, for as long as I can to just save some money and you know start a future and move that route. You know, because I do have a lady that is definitely interested in getting married and having kids. And I know, but she's that. away working too. She is. But he's like, in Denmark now, right? Just hit thirty, so that all that like that biological clock just hit. Yeah. So I'm still like, cool. You got time, like you've got like three years left, bro. <laughs> you got like you got like three years. That's my guess. So I'm like, all right, cool. Like you know, it's enough to like start something, and then I'll probably go back to the fitness industry for one because I definitely found like a passion within that and being able like all my jobs growing up have been service jobs. I love helping people either be them best selves in some kind of way, whether it was cutting their hair and giving them a great haircut and then them having like all the confidence in the world to go get the job they want or just change little things as well as, you know, understanding their body and losing Yo, holiday. You, you and Pat could open like magic barber salon or some shit, you know? <laughs> Cause the, what he's doing like over here in magic, yeah. I used to do a fucking globetrotter tour. Yeah. Right. Like Washington generals, the globetrotters are like, Want me to line them up and cut them up before like a game night? Because Pat like, used to, to do in LA. Pat did my hair. Yeah. So yeah, I, same hustle. So I was like, oh shit, okay, word. And I kind of put it down just because I focused more on dancing, but I still have the skill ability. I still practice. I still got my straight razor, like everything else. Um, also, like I said, going back to the fitness industry, being a trainer, like I want to help people understand their bodies so we have less sickness and disease and obesity in the in the world and you know just helping somebody lose 10 or 20 pounds that they've been struggling to lose for 10 years just seeing the way that that makes their eyes light up because they thought it wasn't possible because they were trying it and so to be able to help put those little pieces in place for them to achieve something that they've been struggling with and i'm like yeah i'm gonna teach or i'm going to go in like that mentor route mm. you know okay. because i always dance it's a part of me it's a part of my discipline now, like if I don't, I don't feel like I'm myself if I'm not dancing, but it doesn't need to be for anything else other than my love and appreciation for it. And it keeps me in shape. Mm. You know, I mean, of course, I'm going to have my time where I got to retire the battle shoes and retire, retire the stage shoes and hang it up and just be a garage warrior for a while. But, you know, at least I can go into that on my terms. Yeah, for sure. And you're already like, bro, like I'm... I'm in awe to think that like you're 40 years old and you're still rocking the way you are. Like, yeah. I, I think it's super dope. Like I know so many people which get to like mid thirties and then, you know, tap out and not necessarily even due to they're not good enough, but no, normally to I'm a tired or it's physically too demanding. Like, you know, the wear and tear is taking its toll, but it, I guess it comes down to the athlete in you. Yeah, definitely. Taking care of your body that you can make that shit happen. Yeah, man. Well, again, that's one thing. Like if I, if I don't do that as a discipline, I feel crazy. Like if I don't take my vitamins and if I do have food that I knew I shouldn't have eaten and my body reacts to it, I'm like, Oh, like I just can't. So that's like, it goes back to like that whole vice thing. Like now that it's become so much habit, now it's lifestyle because when I do it, I instantly feel it. I'm like, Oh yeah, that sucks. Definitely wrong choice. Mm. And so I just pay attention to, it. I just don't fight it as much because it was always about aging gracefully, but I was always ahead of the curve, even in my 20s with a lot of my crewmates. Like, I wasn't the one, like, party. Like, I would go out and kick it and party and have fun just as much, but I was just always the sober one. Mm. You, you ever had any, like, major injuries? Tore meniscus in both knees before. Um, my left I knee was from, like, b-boy competitions and whatnot. Never got surgery on it. 
rehabbed it back. And the second one was on tour with Chris, literally the last show of the tour, we we're in Africa and just a, a faulty stage. Cause you know, they didn't have the money to bring our production with us. So they tried to recreate it, mm. but with what tools and stuff that they had and wasn't ready for the floor to be as, as giving as it was because we were dancing on such like solid plexi and whatnot. So when we got to Africa, we were dancing on some plywood and it was just like, Oh, wasn't expecting that tore meniscus front and back of the right knee. It was like literally rolling like on Chris's private jet with the few dancers that wanted to go to Africa because not everybody wanted to go because also at the time, like Africa was like unsafe and there's a lot of shit going on, but you know, he got paid to do a show and he only needed four, like he needed like the raw skeleton crew. So it was just Mm -hmm. like, okay, four of us said, yeah, fuck it. We'll go with you and do the show and hurt my knee in the beginning of the show. So I still had to dance the rest of that hour. So I was running on pure adrenaline. Mm. And then after I got to calm down and relax, found out torn meniscus in both both places front <laughs> and back lateral and medial still didn't get surgery again having that personal trainer knowledge i was at home i, like, I was just about to say bro probably not getting surgery is the best thing you did yeah i just didn't feel like it, I, it was that yet uh i mean you know i may have to revisit that down the line but well, i think that, a- that should never be your first port of call like you know what i mean like that's always the answer because you know, we can give someone some money. There's some money to right. be made somewhere. Like that's the instant Same. fix. But you know, if you can do it, I just found a different way. And yeah. by the time we did the fine China video, I was still only at 70%. Like I was still somewhat hurt and it was still healing, mm-hmm. but enough for me to be able to do the choreography because they didn't have me breaking. They didn't have me doing any special thing. Cause they had a lot of uh, the guys from Kinja's doing like the fight scene and whatnot. Cause I normally would have been in that particular um vignette but since i was injured and i was part of chris's crew chris's crew was doing like all the michael inspired mm-hmm. moves and then kento who's also part of the squad he was the villain in that video so he had all like the ruffians and they were like triads so i would have looked at a place anyway like storyline wise so it worked out but i remember getting that email and thinking like oh shit like how am i gonna do this music video and i know they're gonna want me to do some crazy shit and i'm only like 70 percent still did it anyway i was like you know what yeah that, that check is too good and uh, need that money and and, 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 that's, and, that's, like, and that's a legacy video because that's like a great video you know that's not just like a let's throw it together right. let's do some choreo and do a thing yeah like, that was the short storyline it's a like, short I gotta, film I gotta be in that. it's that mj kind of inspired beat it kind of vibe like yeah straight up smooth criminal on a funky yeah, jazz yeah. like it was like oh yeah i gotta be in this especially with me kind of being now established as one of his tour dancers and like his main dancers I was like, oh, yeah, I got it. Yep, uh, yep. Uh, and that's not the first time I've danced hurt. Like, I've, most of our competitions that you see online, I was da- dancing hurt. Mm. Which is crazy, isn't that. it? Like, that we do that as a profession. Like, oh, it's yeah. crazy that we just go, like, you know, if you're, like, if you're a sports athlete, yeah, you play when you're hurt. But, like, essentially, their goal is to rest you so you can recover quicker. But in our right. industry, we just... We don't have that luxury. We don't rest. We just go, oh, I'm going to keep... I'm going to keep working. Otherwise I'll get replaced. Right. You get replaced or you just, yeah, you don't, you don't get substantial money to live on while you recover unless you're like on a workman's comp claim or something like that. And that's very rare that that works out ideally. Um, So yeah, we just don't have that. Like we have that athlete mentality of like, yeah, we'll play hurt, but we just don't have the resource in terms of people that can take care of us. And since I had that knowledge just based on being a trainer, I was like, Oh, cool. This is going to save my ass because 
I don't want to stop because of course, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be left behind. Mm. So it sucks that we have to be even put in that position in the first place, but that's also the nature of the beast. Like, yeah. It's the, it, the show must go on. Yeah. And I was like that in battles. It was like, yo, this is the big battle. The crew needs me. They're depending on my, on me carrying my weight. Okay. I got this little ankle twinge. Ah, I got to just take a bunch of like, you know, painkillers and swallow some caffeine and just muster it up. Yeah. Go through it. And so many battles I've done that. My first exhibition battle with machine was 10 fucking rounds. And I had a torn meniscus and my knee used to like give out, like lock up. You know, no one I needs to be put doing it back in rounds. place and still continue to go rounds. Uh, it still happened to the magic mic. I dislocated my finger on stage during a performance, my thumb. I literally shove it back in the socket and finish the show, like during the show. Mm. So stuff like that is just second nature to me because of being in that athletic capacity. Now, is it always the smartest? No, but sometimes you just can't help it because, like I said, it's adrenaline and will and determination and also just fucked up timing of circumstance where you're like, oh, oh this is embarrassing. Like, oh, I'm not going out like that. Uh, you're not going to stop mid-show and be like, someone nope. said, someone help me. Like, <laughs> Right. I was like, oh, like, you know, it's so funny because some of the other guys saw it happen. Like, they saw my thumb, like, give out and turn the other way and I pop off of it and I, like, put it behind my back or, like, tuck it into my armpit. And then I grab it and pop it. And then they're like, yo, man, are you good? And I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Just keep dancing. Like, And then once we get off stage, then it's like, oh, shit, I need some ice and wrap it up. But yeah, that audience is there. They don't they don't care nothing. About, I, mean, I don't want to say they don't care, but I'm of sure course. They would, like, but they know they have to see that. <laughs> yeah, they're there to be entertained. And yeah. so it's like, yo, I feel like I said, oh, Russell Crowe, I just feel like screaming, are you not entertained? <laughs> <laughs> Top of my lungs after a show. That's kind of how we feel. We feel like fucking Greek gods and whatnot because we just got these that, roaring crowd. Women are like, ah, and we're just standing that, on that, stage. Like that this. testosterone going through the room. Yeah. Yo, my, room. my favorite is the uh, Ryan opening the show now. Is it coming <laughs> down? I was, I, I messed it. So I saw it online because that's new, right? That never used to happen. So, yeah, no, he's like he's like the swing when the uh, the original like douchey MC is. Yeah, yeah. That, Ryan loves being in that, Bro, in so that I, energy. I used to pick up Ryan from his place in NoHo, and we'd drive to the and every morning I'd pick him up, and I would play like either sexy back, uh, sexy boy, like uh, all the WWF theme songs, and he'd come out like and he'd come out and he'd be like yeah, and he'd jump into my car like, and I was like, yo, do you feel like you're like WWF wrestler? And he's like. Dude, he's like, I go on, and I, that's what I think. I'm that guy. <laughs> I was yeah, like, you, you are much, you are much a man, Randy Savage. Like, I watched it. And he's coming out like, what's up, Las Vegas? I was like, he is actually living his childhood dream. Yep. Like, not as a Same. dancer, I am as too. a like, I got as a, a wrestler. From, I got a lot of shit from the wrestlers too. That's how I kind of formulated that solo, the Sex Machine solo, where I'm like walking to every corner and I'm doing uh, the Hulk Hogan. Yeah, like, that's where I got it from oh, because woo. I'm like, wait. <laughs> I'm trying to do all these intricate, like my first like trial and errors on that solo and trying to develop it just right. Because normally we get like a minute, 30 seconds, maybe minute. Yeah. About a minute and 30 seconds tops to like bust in like a actual show and have like a solo spot, but to do an actual number, that's like two minutes plus. So you got to literally keep these people's attention for that long, but also not kill yourself. Yeah. I was gonna say, Cause that's fucking tiring tiring so if you don't have a performer aspect or performer ability you're gonna get lost in the sauce like you're gonna be dead and i'm thinking 10 shows a week 
I was trying to like set up all my moves as a b-boy like they'd be paying attention to all this intricacy and all this setup these drunk women don't care nothing about that no because the loudest part of my solo is when I take off my shirt and now mind you I do a cartwheel full twisting flip into my solo they get they scream but still the loudest point is when this comes off yeah and I went oh yeah I forgot I'm not in that capacity yet I got to simplify. They don't care about your transitions. They don't nah, care if it flows. None of that. They don't care none if you, they it. don't know if you hit or if you miss it. They don't know if you crash. They know nothing. What they react to is dynamic. So the first when they see me upside down in the air or taking off clothes, that is always the ah moment. So yeah. I was like, okay, got it. I have to teach them what to cheer at. I have to yeah. teach them what to look at. So that's when I got into that whole cat and mouse. It's like, okay, you scream, I do a trick. I'm going I'm 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 to give you the indicator. So it's like those guys in like studio audiences that hold up the applause sign. Yeah. That's all I'm doing. I'm like, okay, this is where you applaud. And they're like, ah! And it's like a fun game to them. I'm like, now you guys, you ready? Then I get all like the, the sides competing with each other about who's going to be the loudest. And then every time they're loud, I do a trick. So I'm literally like subliminally teaching them how to. Yeah. Because I kind of I kind of watched how you, I've watched, watched how you put it together. Because I mean, I always like seeing how people like, hold the crowd and stuff like that so when i watch yours that's what i noticed like you come in you you know you introduce yourself you go mental mm-hmm. and i was like you actually just go like you said corner to corner and you every corner gets a blow up or, or every corner gets, gets a blow yep. up, a different blow up but they don't get a set you know essentially there's not a set in the whole thing that you get a blow up nope. you get a little shimmy a little dance moment like yep, a little, little dougie or nene, like a little, 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 little acknowledgement a little wink and like there you go that's what i'm talking about all right now you guys do it yeah you get a freeze literally like yep Flipping yeah, and freezing in any kind of spinning, any kind of dynamic. So I, again, you have to know your audience and who you're performing for. So you know how to perform. So in a breaking competition, they're paying attention to all the transitions and the little things and the setups and the ins and outs. And I'm like, cool, I know that. And I know that. And that's 25 years up here of doing that. So that hasn't gone anywhere. But to convert and go to a stage, I got to turn all this crazy, intricate material into a performance. That's a whole different mentality. That's a whole different mindset. And it's a whole different capacity of mind. You got to like be comfortable with slowing down and kind of being in the moment and sometimes just doing nothing. Mm. And that's really hard for a lot of freestyle. And like, we feel like we got to be active. Yeah. So be I really had to get comfortable. Yeah. I felt like I got to get comfortable with sitting in the moment, like doing something and being like, no, 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 wait, you didn't scream. That's where you scream. And then when they finally do it, then it's like, now nah, you got it. Before, it would have been like, oh, shit, they didn't scream at that. And then now here is my self-confidence. Now it's starting to dwindle because they didn't scream. I just did this blow-up trick, and they didn't understand it. Oh, shit. So it's a domino effect of negative. It's like, uh-oh, now what's going to happen? Now what's going to happen? When you can kind of take that moment and go, wait, you're supposed to cheer at that. It's okay to teach them in that, act, in that aspect because it's also an interactive show. Mm-hmm. So the more you interact the more that they're going to cheer versus just looking at something that they don't quite get. Yeah. Yeah. Smart, man. It's, it's different. It's showmanship as opposed to just dancing, you know? Right. And I feel in our world, you got to have all those different abilities. You got to be able to kind of zone out and just be in your own space and just be the floor the music and you just as much as you also got to connect to what's going on around you. Because even now, like the battles of like the battles have changed over the, over the time. Now there are 
because it's considered a sport, now there are a lot more cameras, a lot more spectators. There's a lot more production now with BC1 and with all these big competitions when there didn't used to be. And a lot of people don't know how to battle under those conditions where they still thinking they're at like a cypher addicts or a b-boy summit basement and it's like oh it's about the cypher and it's intimate and it's rugged and it's like nah you're not in that space so you can't dance like that you can't dance neglecting there's a camera on you there's this general public that doesn't really know anything about dancing and they're only watching it because their kid likes it and all these different demographics so you still have to be connected to all that in order to dance properly to get energy from the crowd as well as you know doing shit right for the camera as well as dancing for you the judges as well as dancing for yourselves like you can't you can't neglect and remove yourself from any one of those variables because they all matter mm. so when people ask me they're like well this is more this isn't a jam this is a competition i'm like yeah but if you're going to enter a competition you can't neglect any of this stuff like it's important yeah. it helps you win or hurt you lose because then the crowd ain't feeling you. You have no energy. Once you but, get tired, you're tired. You're done. Well, well, it's like whether you win or lose, if the crowd don't feel you or if you don't get a fan base from it, then you're not worth, like, uh, you're not worth getting invited to an event, right? Like yeah, Exactly. <laughs> so it all plays a part. It's just sometimes people don't want to accept the part because they're just not ready to at that point in time. And so when you get a lot of B-boys that are hanging on, like, oh, no, it has to be old school. And it's, it's all about the ciphers. And it's like, no, it's not always about the ciphers. And then also just the debate of it being, sport versus art the fact that that's debate is still happening drives me crazy mm. it can be both. I'm like, bingo i'm like it's both but what premise do you put it under what circumstances do you put it under is what it is when you're talking and putting it on a stage and in a theater a theater set it's art the minute you use the word competition or tournament it's sport, sport period mm. no ifs ands or buts about it so the fact that people just sometimes just can't accept the fact that it can be both drives me up the wall. I'm like, we're 40 years ahead now. Like, you should be forward thinking in terms of But isn't of that. it the only people that are having that discussion, the people that were around 40 years ago? not It's not the younger gen and demographic because no. they're filming themselves doing TikTok videos, like doing this shit to make it, to go viral, to make it. A right. To make. It's definitely and I do not agree. Them. We definitely need some holders of the original way of doing things and some purists, like they have their place in maintaining this balance, this eco balance of making sure the original construct of it is not forgotten just as much as we need the forward thinkers to innovate. Mm. It's just finding some kind of cohesion and harmony between the two and respect where it's like, yeah, do you think innovate. Because I'm too young to do anything innovating. So I'm going to maintain and preserve the original because it, it's less taxing on the body physically. And I'll let you young cats innovate and create some crazy shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah, I just sometimes I just sit back and watch like as I'm getting into more of that space of being considered an elder where I'm like, OK, it's like when you watch little kids argue over something like really childish and petty. And you're just like, oh. You guys, so cute, so adorable. But <laughs> one day, one day, exactly. It's like, oh, youngins. Yeah. Um, I ask every dancer this. Um, it's a bit of a random question, but just go with it. We'll get out the other side. Uh, imagine aliens come down from space. Uh huh. They hold this gun to your head and they go, "JD, you have to hand me one representative on planet Earth." who represents dance. It can be anyone, any form of dance, any style. But if you give them 
someone that they do not approve of a good representation they blast us all with COVID-19 and we're going to have it like forever and we're going to die and shit but if you give us a if you give them someone good we'll all be free forever and we live happily ever after like Disney it can be any style any flavor it just it has to be someone that represents dance for you damn Ooh, we that is a tough one. I'll give him since they flow. Like I could, like I can make. That I, I, do you know what? I I could have bet money you just said flow. Uh, easy, easy. You seen that man's Instagram? Is all he do is he dance more than me, and he's yeah. older, like by a good ten years. Like he's he's, Jerry, he, he's boy flow master. Like he's dancing he while does. he's doing MMA training. Like <laughs> right, like. If that if if you look if you look at Sensei Flow and you don't see dance, I'm surprised. Even when he's boxing training and he's working like his yeah, head is when he does the heads out the way of the swinging back. I'm like, yo. And when he was at the dojo and uh, they were in a big circle and he did a uh, throw down in the dojo and no music on, like I was like, this right. guy. He is- practices he practices jujitsu transitions like a b boy. Like, are you kidding me? Like I said, that's just one right off the top of my head. But it's a solid one. It's a solid I, one. Like, I don't think I've ever had anyone use say him before, but it is without a doubt. Man, that's, that's sensei right there because we definitely follow a lot of parallel lines in terms of like life, in terms of him like growing up doing martial arts and then being into training and fitness and health and then working industry. Like he's the one that kind of paved that way and that entry and that lane for me without even knowing it. Like I said, that's why I consider him sensei because I was like, I was watching him at 15 before I even knew him. So when I got to LA, I was definitely trying to track him down, but Flo is very selective with who he like really messes with in terms of like his friendship circle. So when I finally did get a call back from him and he was like, oh, what's up, Twix? And like, he had asked me to battle with him. Again, I was stuck. Yeah, because I felt a certain relation to him because of our martial arts background just on that alone i'm like oh and even when i get around him and mike and we start training in his garage and jujitsu and whatnot it takes me back to the time of when i grew up training with my father so like a lot of videos where i see him and kai yeah i know that like all too well because that was me growing up with my dad flow master with his son is just like how my dad was with me literally to a t so when and, i get to and spar into him kai ten is like a baby flow like, all day. they do all the same shit like same he's shit. doing locking solos one day he's on the punch thing the spinning punch thing he had on his instagram the other day dodging it and, right. it. and he was like doing don't this. think just go i was like this is crazy that was my life growing up with my father like Sick. straight up that's why I'm, sometimes i have to get off i'm like Flo, don't push him so hard like take it easy he's like nah man he gotta be a man like 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 unk, like you know what i mean and, yeah. and it's cool to have that relationship with him too because he spends so much time inspiring being that person for everybody else he doesn't really get to hear it a lot because of course who's going to talk to the trainer about training that, that are going to be like on his level that he can either respect or will actually take the time to listen to as a as a uh, as an associate like as somebody as a peer mm-hmm. so when i even tell him like okay Sensei, you got you know you got to chill. He's like, yeah, yeah, I got, oh, okay, I got, I got, I got you, I got you. You right, you right. It feels good to actually have that relationship with him, where it's like, yo, he actually takes in what I'm saying. 
because that's exactly what he would be saying to somebody else. It's like, now, you know, you got to recover, you know, you got to, you got to stretch and you got to take care of like flow, chill out. You don't got to do so much. Mm. I know, baby. I just, I just, I just need to do it because yeah, I can't, I can't sit around and just do nothing. You know, I'm like, oh, <laughs> yo, he's a legend, man. I need to. I, I, I messaged him about coming on here before, but he didn't get back to me. But I'm gonna keep hitting him up. I'm, a, I'm gonna be like a, I'm be like a mosquito on him. I'm I like, hear you. I'm like the people. Sometimes need you gotta it. be with bro. The people he's so need, active. But the people, like, do you know, you just like, like I, I do this to like give people an insight, right? Like even whether you're wherever you are in your career, like I feel like I'm really fortunate that I've got to make such great connections over 10 years. And I always think what I would have done when I was back at home in Wales before the internet to hear people like yourself and like Marty and super Dave, like all the people, which I look up to. So I'm like, I, I, the whole point of this is to create something so people can take inspiration from them or hear their journey or whatever it may be. So like the more I can reach like, people who are kind of feel like for like 14 year old me untouchable like the more mm-hmm. i feel like i'm doing my 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 job my role you know right. teaching peeps so yeah man yeah, definitely man thank you for having me and definitely is cool to share stories because i mean just my story alone like there's so much to it and i guess you know we have to do another podcast to even talk about like how i was even disabled as a kid like i couldn't walk until i was five i had leg oh. braces shit okay well we can't leave now you need to kind of tell me a little bit <laughs> <laughs> even if it's a quick version like we can't quick be version, like yeah I, I was born with this muscle dystrophy disease it's called clubfoot and it's more common in like infants now than it used to be in like the 80s but you know your feet sit flat because uh-huh. you know when your ankles and your bones are forming and they're hardening they're sitting in place in the joint my feet were always turned up so the bottoms of my feet were always facing up towards my face so i had to wear these special shoes and leg braces on my legs and on my feet to straighten out my ankles because the bones weren't sitting right. So I didn't take my first steps until five years old where most infants, most toddlers are taking their first steps at like one or two. Wow. I spent my whole infant to like, or toddlers, you know, newborn to, to toddler in leg braces, like Forrest Gump, like, but there was no walking. And it was like wow. a 50, 50 chance that that would even reset the bones and like put them in the correct position for me to walk properly. And if not, they were going to have to re-break my ankles and set them in cast for like another five or six years. Oh, so I would have been 10 by then. Do they know as well as, like, what's, what's the cause of that? Like, is there like a specific thing or is it just like, I don't like, there's genetic? like Yeah, I don't know if it's genetic or if there was like circumstances of stress, like during the pregnancy. Um, it's been a lot of different uh, uh, initiators and stimulants to that with other other cases. But yeah, I was just a sick kid. Like I was on one end of the spectrum. I was, you know, I had asthma and was like very, like a underweight baby. It was just very sick. And like mom had went through a, a lot of physical trauma while she had me. Like she was electrocuted, like cleaning the oven while pregnant with me. So I think that definitely had something to do with it. Um, but yeah, I just had a lot of physical ailments. And so Mom didn't really think that I was going to make it too long to now be on the opposite end of the spectrum and be considered superhuman in a way where I'm well, like, the, I, I was going to say that probably contributes to maybe why you're so health conscious and like, you know, take your vitamins. You're so okay. you know, you're probably more grateful <laughs> than the average person would be to be able to walk. I'm Never like, going back. Yeah, yeah. Once I, like, cause I used to, my mom used to tell me this, like when I was growing up and I used to always think she was messing with me because she just thought I was gullible. But then when she showed me like pictures and hospital documentation and 
I was like, it was funny, like watching what's that movie Unbreakable with uh, Bruce Willis and, and Samuel Jackson. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was both of those characters at one point in life because I did get into comic books for the same reason he did because I didn't want to go do anything physical. And that was what I used to fantasize about, which was like, I wish I had superhuman powers. I wish I was, cause my two older brothers are monsters. Like I'm the, I'm the runt in the family. I'm the baby. Wow. My two older brothers are twice the size I am. And they played football and I was did all say, they're like NFL athletes, like <laughs> bingo. And I'm like, what the hell is wrong with me? How come I don't have those family genetics? What's wrong with my like gene pool? So that was how, like, that was my mental escape because I was into drawing and sketching. And so I used to draw comic book characters and everybody had like these physically fit bodies and these capabilities. And so to now to embark on that and to be considered that was like, wait a minute. But like, I got all the infinity stones. Like I'm still a big comic book nerd, but (laughs) I haven't collected in a while. that's, That's crazy. Yeah. So I think you're, you're right. Like, I think a lot of that, like after I really accepted and was told the fact like, Oh, I come from real humble beginnings. It was like, Oh yeah. Then I'm not, I gotta, I gotta definitely make up for lost time as well as take care of these things before I got to give them back. Because of course everything has expiration date. So it's like, Oh, before I got to hang it up before my body goes, all right, you've had enough. You've done enough. We've done enough. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta get all the miles out of it. I can't. Screw that. <laughs> That's fucking crazy. But super inspiring. Like, I mean, you were inspiring before I knew that, but that's dope. Man, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. For me, I this guess. is kind of like a, a bucket list thing. And I always Word. like the specific people that I've had on, like you, Marty, like Brian Freeman, like he was like one of the like a pioneer of pop culture for dance. Like I always I have these specific right. people where I'm like, they're a big influence in my life at some point without them even knowing it. And in the Word. from the breaking world. Like you are most certainly one of them. You, Casper, Machine, like, like they're the people that when I got a VHS of breaking, like you're right. the one I watched, you know? Yeah. So it's uh, truly an honor, bro. Oh, man, back at you, bro. It's, it's cool to be on this kind of platform and have something like this to have this dialogue, you know, just for people to get a backstory of where we come from. And like I said, all of our humble beginnings, as well as trials, as well as achievements, like, without these particular modes of expression, then, you know, it's just left to, to urban myth. And I kind of like it because then, you know, that's when you, I've heard stories about me from people that don't know they're talking to the same person that they've heard stories about. And it's hilarious. Mm. It's like, Oh shit, really? Word? <laughs> yeah. Well, you'll hear, if you listen to my last episode with a guy called, I think it was my last one with recklessly who taught me breaking. Yes, I listened to that one. So when we talk about you in that, and I remember the first time I met you and I was like, why do I know this guy? And we did the show with Larissa and I saw your right. massive monkeys t-shirt on and you were like, and Larissa was like, this is JD. And I was like, I recognize him. Right. massive monkeys. Right. You know, and I was like, right. yeah. And I was like, JD, what? And then as soon as I put two and two together, I was like, yo, like, right. It's like finding out Bruce Wayne is Batman. You're just like, oh shit. Oh shit. This is the guy. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, I had the same thing with Venom in 24 hour fitness Bro, oh, Venom, come, Venom come up to me in 24-hour fitness and he was asking me how to do these like archer push-up things on the thing. Uh-huh. And then we just talk and he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm a b-boy. That, uh, he didn't say b-boy, he said I break dance. And I was like, okay, cool. He's like, what do you do? I was like, oh, I'm just a dancer, I'm here. And the more we start talking, he just kept dropping things. And like he said, skill methods. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> so I know you. You know, you're like, I know you. Right. Bro, it took like ages for the penny to drop. And once it dropped, I was like, oh. <gasps> 
Same, like, bro. I had my same. Fourteen-year-old me now would be going crazy, but I got to play it cool because we're in Hollywood. Right. <laughs> I was the same. Like all the music videos I watched, and it was like, "Yo, you're so and so," and "Oh, I know who that is." Like first time coming to LA and going to Carnival was like, "Oh wait, yeah, you were in that," and "Oh, you were on this," and "Oh, yep, I remember you in this movie." Like, bro, I thing. even had it with Cujo. Like oh, we were doing, I was doing aerial. I was learning aerial in the valley in this private little home studio thing. And this dude come in on straps and he was fucking insane. And I was like, yo, who's this guy? Like doing all this shit. Like he was on his own, didn't speak to anyone. And then he got off it and started doing Cujo shit. And then we started speaking and he's like, oh yeah, break dance. And I was like, this is so fucking weird. Like I know him, right. and, but I didn't know who it was. I went home, thought about it for weeks. Like who the fuck was that guy? Couldn't put right. two together. I saw a clip go viral on Instagram of like a him in like doing like a throwdown at like a club or like somewhere where like it was random and everyone was like, yo, it's Cujo, he's back and he's got short hair. And I was like, that's the fucking guy. Like, you know, like those moments. I was like, oh, I know those guy. moments all too well. Those moments are great. We're just like, oh shit. That was like when I figured uh when I found out Flow Master, uh Flowmaster was Usher's trainer after being his dancer. I went, oh. yeah, what? what? <laughs> like I remember him being in Rocksteady and just being like, you know, just hardcore b-boy, and then he disappeared from the scene, and all of a sudden it was like, wait, is that Flowmaster and fucking Usher's video? And yeah. Is that Flow? Like what? Like it was like it was my way. It was the first time I seen it, I was like, is that Wiggles? And, oh, whoa, 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 whoa! What's whoa, Dave wait, wearing? Like, <laughs> chill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, crazy times. What a beautiful world we live in. Like, dance yeah. community, man, is fucking amazing. Amazing. I Amazing. agree. 100%. Bro, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. We'll definitely have to do it again soon. And yes, uh, indeed. Thank you so much. And I wish you all the best. Enjoy the rest of your day off. All right. And, you uh, too, man. I'll be in touch, bro. Definitely. I'll send you all the links over in the next few days when this is up and running. Yeah, I'm going to get out to Europe here soon, you know, because my girl's out there in Denmark. So I know London is not you know, just a 45 little quick flight away. So, bro, we'll definitely when you're here and we'll definitely link up. Let's do it. Pleasure, bro. Take care. You too, man. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Internet's podcast. Please leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends and family. One love. Peace. The Internet's podcast with your host, Kane Silver.